Hi, Razor's Edge listeners. It's Daniel. Just sharing an extra bonus episode from our conversation between me and Akram over Disney. We ended up going a little bit longer and talk, talking about the macro picture. So for those of you who are listening on the weekend, thank you. And here's a little bit more macro commentary as we're in a busy, fast-moving environment. Stay safe out there, and thank you for your time and listening. This picks up from right where we left off, where I asked Akram what he th- made of the Disney outlook, and he kind of took it in a macro direction. So, hope you enjoy, stay safe out there, and thank you for listening. What's your sort of final take on those? On how uh, I mean, I'm still, I'm in like a camp of all travel and leisure is potentially impacted uh well i mean 100 percent impacted for the next year without like there's no v nothing that we've been we had maybe had been hoping for and definitely what at least i would say the the president and and people who have have been really just very like we need to get the stock market back to where it was fast right Mm -hmm. uh that's just off the table and that's without a question i have been kind of struggling more with uh, what's it look like next year, right? And it's there's I, I have no clue how the election's going to go, right? I mean, in one respect, there's a lot of reasons not to uh, think that uh, Trump is reelected. In another respect, Biden is just you know he's like a, he's such a yawner. He's and he's been he's almost become a ghost in the last two weeks, like news flow wise. So yeah, once the election really kind of disappeared and the virus took over and he's trying to get out there and talk about things, but like you've really kind of forgotten about him. You're just like, what does, what, what does he have a view on this? And he's just, he wasn't a person anyway who was really impressing me in any which way, shape or form beforehand. So you're just like, what are we dealing with? Like, let's just assume Trump wins. Uh, is this a protectionist, isolationist, uh, like, almost a turbocharged event, like in the same way for, for, for streaming and Zoom. If you're anti-immigration, if you're, I mean, if you've, been, if you've been following the Buy America stuff, right? Like, we, like, particularly with supply chains. So do we need to make everything in closer, more localized, right? Like uh, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, medical equipment, and I mean, there is a case for it, like, but we've been on this 40 year globalization trend and the benefits of it and so on and so forth. And, you know, uh, the U.S. consumer has really benefited from it. And it's 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 the reason you you know can sit at home and push a button and someone delivers you food in two seconds and you can hop in a ride share. Right. I mean, that's just the, the nature of the economy. And a lot of that has to do with, the, you know. Everything is supply chain wise was with critical juncture. Uh, it's coming from Asia. So, are we looking at a future where, yeah, we had these trade wars and what was going on before, but is this going to ramp up? Right? Are we going just from Huawei's a, a problem to, hey, you ne- we need to have these drugs made here and this medical equipment has to be made here and this is marked as uh, critical national security. Uh, infrastructure and, and start creating these burdens on companies. And if you start doing that, then you really start changing how you think about all stocks, right? I mean, I don't know if you went through the bill or, or anything. I mean, like, I, I honestly looked at this bill and and it it, it it was more populist and more worker-driven than it really was corporate for all the concerns about it being this corporate, right? They had pretty clear rules on the corporate end. There's a bunch of stuff that's really favorable to the worker. So, and if you've seen corporations, I mean, one thing that I would say that stands out between, you know, today and 2008, like Morgan Stanley yesterday was out saying, we're not going to lay off anybody in 2020. Okay. And then Deutsche Bank followed suit, but not as explicitly. And they were in the midst of a big restructuring. Right. And then, uh, then City came, and yes, I mean, I was I was watching this all on Seeking Alpha uh, market currents. So, like, as that stuff was actually coming out, I was just like, this is just the exact opposite of two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, it was like you're all fired, <laughs> you know, and 
when you plug the hole and spending started to come back, right? What happened? Margins outgrew the recovery in revenue, right? So you got more profitable faster than you were before the recession hit. And margins expanded. I think margins, operating margins were expanding consistently all the way through to almost 14 or 15. But the point is, when I look at this, it's like, okay, you're, bridge, you're, provide, you're providing bridge support you know, with all this uh, fiscal stimulus. We're not really, it's not really stimulating. You're, you're, you're trying to fill a hole, right? So you're providing the support that gets you to still generate income, but you're just taking these assumptions that revenue is going to be down big. And for companies that were insulated from this, right, let's say you're not in travel leisure or whatever, there's just that kind of slow bleed that's going to come, right? It's like, hey, Facebook, okay, you've got $50 billion in cash, and hey, Google, you're doing whatever. Like, do you want to follow suit with everybody right now and be like, hey, we're laying off people because advertising is down? Most likely not, right? Because it'd be like, you've been making so much goddamn money the last you know, five years, all, all of you. Now you're going to right size. So it's this, have we seen, and I don't know what your view on this, and like this obviously, like we will end up talking for two hours, so let's not spend too much time getting into it. But is there a shift more away from the cult of the shareholder to a broader group of stakeholders? And dare we say like what, what this was, what we've discussed multiple times before, which was, you know, it's socialism, right? And you don't have to have a view ideologically either way, but it's an observation. And when I look at it, I'm just like, all right, if I'm a shareholder, I want to be in the environment where, you know, you, you get to be a capitalist, ruthless pig to the extreme. And that's where it's, that's been the cycle for the last 20 years. That's what essentially happens. And maybe you want to blame the Fed and, and maybe you, you, you can make a really good point and say, look, if I don't have a shallow recession here and there, right, and we just constantly are focusing on on maintaining, uh, you know, employment and 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 growth at uh, above a certain level, we do end up having these shocks. And historically, when we've had these shocks, right, U.S. corporations, multinationals, and this is something I've always looked at them in contrast to the Japanese. When the Japanese stock market crashed, I don't, I don't think what most people realize when they look back at Japan, like what was the difference between Japan and the U.S.? Japan didn't go and fire everybody. So you didn't have a quick surge in unemployment, right? The United States, when we've had big drops, and particularly if you go back to financial crisis or even if you go back to 2000, like our corporations fire people immediately. They right size fast. And they've been getting leaner and leaner and margins have been growing and growing. At this time, it's the exact opposite, right? Because it's not an economic event. I mean, if you saw Powell yesterday, he's just like, you know, our economy was super healthy. Then you're just like, but was it? <laughs> it was, in one sense, unemployment's here, the stock market was here, things were pretty consistent, but the global dynamic was different, and the energy sector was different, and the financial sector was different, and commodity sector was different. But yes, the market has been going higher, and yes, unemployment is low, and yes, everybody was happier than ever, it seemed. But there was this inkling of maybe we're kind of at the, you know, the, the far end of the extreme. And if, if, if you look at it from that today, uh, it's not like coming in in 2009 and buying you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and being like, well, okay, they plugged the financial hole. But these guys were fine even without plugging the financial hole. Now the economy is going to recover. And when the economy recovers, these companies are going to mint it. Now it's like, wait, these companies are going to take a delayed hit. And there's pressure politically, socially, and just broadly from, from an economic context to not immediately take that knife out that you that that american corporations have been so good at and trim that fat immediately because they've done it in like almost an axe fashion in the past so that when the economy does recover it recovers quicker and profitability is stronger and hence stock prices appreciate faster because margins outstrip the revenue growth recovery 
So when you look at it this way, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm on a bit of a rant here, but I mean, what's your what's your take looking at this and saying, well, I mean, I'm not looking at an environment where it's 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 politically and let's call it even socially acceptable right now to come out and be like, oh, we're laying everybody off. Or we're, we're taking a 20% cut because advertising revenue is down and we need to protect margins. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree with you, especially with some of these firms that just really have such great balance sheets. Like, it's going to be hard for them to make a case. I agree with you on that. And it's I think... stakeholder transfer, right? I mean, is there anything else to say? It's our employees are more important than our stock price right now. And... Yeah. And so I think there's also more of an acceptance for, you know, you see the conversation here and there's a lot of frustration about the last crisis and how the perception was that the bailout, which I think was a fair perception, was bailout was more targeted at banks than at Main Street. And a lot of people suffered for not really any justifiable reason, whether it's not enough investment in sort of backstopping mortgages or whatever else. And so... I think that there's more of a consciousness of that's not how this should play out. And so that's where, you know, the Senate bill came under scrutiny, et cetera. So I think I think that has is a sign of a shift already. And I oh, think the banks are screwed, but you stay away from the financials. It's not very complicated. They can't foreclose on you. Everyone's drawing down the revolvers into the spreads are, are next to nothing. I mean, yeah, fine. They can't even really speculate in the market environment like it's. It's like the worst mix ever. I mean, I had thought about shorting JP Morgan, you know, before this crisis started and I was waiting for some sort of event and it, I, I, it's going to eat at me for forever having missed this in terms of the financials because the financials have really done what they've done everywhere else financial wise. And it's, it's, it's no surprise. I mean, I, I'm, you and I are probably going to have Apple and Google bank accounts uh, in, in five years. And I don't even know if these companies will exist. At, at the rate things are going, but uh, th- that's that's one where they don't get the pro. It's profiteering, right? That's capitalism in a situation like this. You come in, you foreclose, you know, you convert debt to equity, you clean up, you know, you get your distressed guys in there, you make money. That's what like that, and that's where the human capital and the talent is. And it's like, oh no, you can't foreclose for this time period. Uh, uh, you have to give this. You have to give this. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, forbearance or whatever on interest for X, Y, and Z uh, uh, customers or whatever you want. I mean, I don't know the words are escaping me. Renters but or whatever. Dude, it's a ma- I mean, like you know, Tom Barrick did this thing from Colony Capital on on the com- commercial mortgage market and and the private equity and the fact that so much more of it is privatized now versus from the major lenders and the whole chain of events. Like, you know, if these malls don't pay, I mean, there was the, the, the Widowmaker trade had been of, of large funds, you know, selling insurance on the big benchmark uh, mall REIT index or whatever it was, CMBX. Or, and the, the spreads finally just blew out, right? Because... That trade has been going on and on and on and on and on with the assumption that, you know, more and more retailers are going down and these malls are heading to oblivion. And the counter argument was, oh, these malls can convert the space and, and turn it into something different. And now you kind of got this thing and, and like the whole chain, as was explained by him in this blog post, which is pretty good and everybody should read, you know, is so intertwined and it's dangerous because you're also dealing with potential rule of law issues, right? Like if you start giving holidays to a lot of things and you get to the point where you try to walk this back and reverse course and some people are still suffering, like they didn't get a job back or something like that and things didn't turn around quickly for them. And it's like, look, I, this isn't my fault, right? This is a virus. And that's where you see things where like there's been some some of the nationalism kicking up. And that's what what bothers me uh the the chairman of ashford realty was he also had a blog post and they have like about 150 hotels in the u.s and he basically came out and was like why can't i go after china he's like 
this is an event that, that came from a semi-hostile nation, to quote him, right? And you're like, there you go. And then like two days later, the president starts calling it the Chinese virus, right? Uh, and I mean, it's very unclear, by the way, what the relationship is between China and the United States these days. Because then last night he's tweeting that, you know, he's going to talk to talk to Xi. We had a great call. And he, he never criticizes him directly. And Xi never criticizes Trump directly. But then there's these underhanded things that go back and forth. And then there's that political subtext when, like, the president intentionally, like, takes a Sharpie out and renames it. And then you see it, how it works, that there was a guy who passed the – who proposed the, the – a congressman from, from Florida – proposed an anti-China, the anti-China act like two days ago, where just to make sure that no bailout money goes to China, right? And kind of common sense, but in certain, like to Chinese controlled corporations in the US, right? And you're like, well, why isn't that act for no money, no taxpayer money going to any foreign controlled corporations in the US, right? I mean, it, you know, but why single out China? Well, because for some people right now, they attacked us like this. It's just the view. And in, in the Ashford Realty guys uh, uh, example, he basically wants to be able to go after them for negligence. And he's citing the, you know, the sovereign immunity, which the irony is who is the one nation on earth whose sovereign immunity has been the most important to the United States of America, because who's involved in so many things in so many different countries. For the last, you know, 50 years, who's like, you know, our nickname was the global policeman. And it's much easier to be like, well, your troops came in here and they, you know, this is what happened. And I want to be able to sue the U.S. government because, you know, my family died. Right. Uh, Can't have that. I will say, I owned shares in Ashford Realty back in the day. Monty Bennett was never an exemplar of shareholder friendly management, let alone anything else. And that was, uh, Oh, you know, you, you, you know, the company I use, it's a hotel REIT. And I, I got into REITs quite a bit in the, you know, four or five years ago, maybe six years ago and owned a, and I like, you know, the hotel REIT story was interesting enough and Ashford, they did a spin off, and it was like their high quality stuff, but it was crap. And they, they did one of these management company spinoffs that was supposed to, it wasn't the same as sort of the RMR complex, but it was something where they were going to try to, they were going to get all the fees and they, it was just like a real management grab. And if you were smart enough, ANIC went up a ton at some point, but that was not a shareholder friendly company. And it wasn't good. I owned another company that is a better company, I think, who is also, you know, tiny REIT and they're getting hammered by all this too. So it's, it's tough space, but yeah, so that's, he's quite the, he was pretty, it's smaller stakes, but he was one of those, uh, I, I'm, I mean, what capitalists? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just one of those guys. It's like, come on capitalists. And so, yeah, I think, you know, and we were talking about this a few weeks ago before when Corona was in the news, but it wasn't clear that it was going to be a full out bear market the way it's become that we were sort of seeing a shift towards this anyhow. So yeah, I bull, think there's bull market, a, bull market. Well, yeah, now we're back to the bull, but they, I think there is a, you know, healthcare is an obvious place where people who don't have healthcare coverage are actually hurting other people's health through the spread, et cetera. Like you're getting a more awareness of that, how it plays out, whether it's a more, I, I'm not great at, predicting the future as far as that but i think corporate taxes it's going to be tough to keep those as low as they are if you need to well, if you I mean, actually yeah, the care government about the just budget gets bigger and bigger and bigger right look we get it i mean all I'm, my point is is that people are angry and i can understand the the the, the ceo and like in, in, in this blog post daniel he like you know points out that his, his father had gone bankrupt and he started the business from nothing and turned it into a billion dollar corporation right right and then it just segues into you know but now no one wants to we made it through this the recession the uh inflation uh the tech bubble uh the financial crisis 9 11 etc etc and now we've been attacked by a semi-hostile to quote again nation and you're just like 
I mean, that's, that's where we're at, right? And these are the two biggest economies on earth. And we were just coming out of this trade war and, it's, and I have no clue where this is going. Common sense would dictate something like what just happened globally is going to make everybody more paranoid politically, right? This is like what you dream of if you're selling, you know, hysteria and fear, right? And if you want to be in that business, and that's why you see a politician just trying, like, in the midst of this this crisis, right, come out there and be like, "I'm gonna let, hey, hey, I'm I'm introducing the anti-China bill." Well, what's the anti-China bill? It, no money should go to any Chinese court. Do we need to put a bill to do that? Who, who, <laughs> it was not common sense, right? Like. Why should why can't you expand it and call it the you know you know for only Americans or I mean like does it is this something that has to be highlighted and the reason that person is doing that because he views that as an opportunity to get in what the headlines and then people put him on TV and he gets on, on the news and you see you're like what like what is this how is it, why how is this productive at all it's not productive at all now so the question is. Do we have to factor all this into the future? Because we were just getting past that's like, hey, we had a trade deal and there's a phase two, right? And it, uh, we don't really know how Trump is going to play this. Like, you can't really tell. The president really at, at this juncture oscillates. You know, one day it's the China virus, the next day, you know, he's having really good conversations with Xi. You know, one day it's like uh, China is, you know, no U.S. corporation should be there, and we're coming down them hard. And the next day, he's commending them for the death penalty. So, and the CCP, you know, I mean, we're not like sitting here trying to defend the Communist Party. That's authoritarian and cracks down, but they, they're coy, you know. It's really unclear because they don't come out and have their, their leaders not on Twitter. So it, it's, it's very hard to... to I mean, assess the nature of this relationship. Do they like each other or are they both in a kind of a soft war? It's, I, I, I don't know anymore. I think it's really, really, really difficult to assess because if it was a situation where China had zero tolerance for what the U.S. is doing and, and saw this as an opportunity to exploit, you would think they would come after the president from the top level in terms of just publicly undermining him. And that doesn't seem to be the case. But then, you know, you, you see a counterbalance and you're just like, okay, but at times they also see, they, they, they do certain things that are consistent with their reputation uh, historically. And then they do certain things that just don't make any sense. I mean, like one thing that like you would have expected in a crisis like this is high level communication between these two countries, right? Like, you know, we're working together and here are where the ventilators are. I mean, have you been watching this stuff on the ventilators where like, you know, Apple comes out and it's like, we, we, we've gone through our supply chain and we've secured 15 million masks and this many, this, and you're like, okay, what's your supply chain? <laughs> right. Where did you, China. Right. And I mean, China, which like Trump was protecting and which, which the Chinese have been protecting. The best one was Elon Musk. And he's like, I got, 20, 1,200 ventilators from an oversupply in China. He, literally, his tweet was, there's an oversupply in China. Elon, there is no oversupply of, of ventilators anywhere. So how did you secure 1,200 ventilators from China? Because you have a really good relationship with the Communist Party? <laughs> because you've opened a massive factory there? I mean, there's a lot of this stuff where you look at it and you're just like, why isn't this occurring at the federal level where it's like, hey, we will send you know, U.S. military planes, and we will buy, the U.S. government will, is buying this supply from these factories and bring them here. Why is this coming through these multinational corporation intermediaries who seem to be playing both sides? I mean, our president sits in an interview and calls Musk one of our super geniuses who needs to be protected. And then, you know, he's bringing us the ventilators that he's buying from, you know, oversupply uh, that he's been able to secure in China. Tim Cook, hey, we need to help them on the tariffs. They're, you know, they're one of America's great companies. At the same time, he's doing a huge percentage of his revenue in China. He's got his Chinese stores and he's got his whole Chinese supply chain. And the Chinese are looking out for him. So it's good to be those companies in this environment. It seems to be they're, they're super state actors 
And, and, and that's something where I don't really have visibility. I don't know how this plays out. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to discount the scenario where I got to be thinking about if we're going more isolationist than we already were, then, I, then I'm thinking lower multiples without question on, on all equities. And if I add in, hey, the, 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 we're, we're putting some handcuffs on, on, uh, on corporate execs and, uh, and shareholder buybacks, right? I mean, there was a really good paper, uh, Harvard Business Review, that really slammed buybacks last year, maybe November or December. Just how, what percentage of actually the taxpayer tax cut in 2017? We're, we're also including in terms of the offshoring, uh, the money that was overseas that you, was able to come back, was essentially financed by taxpayers. Before, because we've had a huge run of debt finance, corporate debt finance buybacks, which were deemed unhealthy. But then what was financed by the taxpayers essentially in a transfer and lower tax receipts with, with, with the tax cut. So you just look at it, you're like, all right, I mean, t- like – your analogy going back to 2000, 2008 and nine is that the general view is, you know, the people who brought down the economy and the banksters or whatever got away with it. And this time when they passed this first bill, uh, you definitely focus more on the employees. Did you see the controversy on uh, initially blocking the bill, Lindsey Graham, on uh, – yeah, potential. four senators. Yeah, I, I didn't follow the details. It just seemed like a well, it, it was pre- it was pretty interesting how it played out because they backed down. Well, what happened was is you have unemployment insurance, obviously in the U.S., and they came up with this six hundred dollar a week uh, top up, right, which will last for four months. Okay, and this six hundred dollar a week top up, which lasts for four, four, four months, for some people. This, on top of the unemployment insurance they get if they're laid off, would generate more than they would from their actual income, right? It'd be over 100%. So these guys come out and they're like, this is a potentially dangerous, devastating scenario uh, where you've created an incentive for employees not to, be, uh, not to work. I mean – you still have to get fired, so I don't know how you can create an incentive for employees. You, you would have to actually be creating an incentive for employers, but that's what they came out with. But the funny thing about the whole thing was it was administrative, right? So the, the software systems for the 50 states vary and they're archaic, and you have to calculate the replacement rate and so on and so forth. And they're trying to what, – what are they trying to do, Daniel, in this, in this crisis, which is, hey – Get you money so we can outlast this virus. And speed is the most important factor. That's what we're focused on. And what happens when you're only focused on speed? You can't be as thorough, right? So they could not figure out a way to do the calculations perfectly. So they came out with a flat $600 rate, which would get the average of your total compensation with unemployment in, in, in each state plus the $600 a week to 100% of your salary, which means some people would get a little bit more, some people would get a little bit less, right, potentially. And that turned into this, you know, you brought ideology into it, where it's just like, we don't want, we don't want people to, like anyone is sitting around being like, all right, I wanna, let me see if I can get out of my job, get fired in this crazy crisis so I can make like an extra $150 a month for four months and then not have a job and have to be looking for one after everybody has been bounced at the same time and is all looking for you. I mean, it's so illogical, right? And so Bernie Sanders comes back and says, well, if that's the case, then, you know, I want to attach some rules to the slush fund, which we were willing to pretty much give you carte blanche on, which makes sense, right? I mean, it's like if you... If you want to get technical here and say, let's take the time to stop and correct this, then why don't we think about potential scenarios where, you know, the company that bought back $4 billion in stock last year and shows up knocking for, for cash uh, shouldn't be in front of the line of a company that hasn't been buying back stock and actually was surprised, devastated by this, right? And that's like, the, that's, these, that's these dynamics here where you're just like, I mean, 
this was not like 2000. We did not go through this type of debate in the financial crisis. It was more about do we bail out these one or two banks and like are we socializing? Like the TARP thing was considered so drastic, right? Do you remember that? Like for a, for purists, it was like, are we really doing this? Are we really mm -hmm. going to bail out these banks who've been taking risk? And when I think back to that, you know, after that happened, like I remember going to Vegas, right? And, and traveling at the time and they're like, yeah, business is down like, you know, 40%. And it's like, all right, but like, why? Right? It, you know, because people have been laid off and they didn't want to travel. But it wasn't because you couldn't go to a casino. Or it's not like showing up and be like, yeah, I don't know if I feel safe here in a casino, right? And that's kind of the thing. We, we've had this like weird health dynamic, but then you got all these other issues like, you know, do I want to go? Do I want to travel? What's political? What's not political? It's, it's you know, what's, what's being socialized? What's acceptable? And that's, I think, I think a challenge that when we, when we started with this, we we're kind of dealing with. Then you're like, yo, I don't think about it. And then you look at the market rally and everybody get excited about bull market. And you're like, do I need to start thinking about these things long term? Yeah, I don't think there's any avoiding them. And so um, I think I think we can leave it there. But it, it is it is Disney is a very good example of all the dynamics that are playing out here. And I think everybody, it's very hard to not feel after three days like this like oh my god i'm on the sidelines if i was bearish and it's very hard to not feel the opposite when things are going down and to some degree i think it's healthy to stay in a long-term strategy whatever it is but yeah i mean there is this is not just a pause and then a reset and then you start back on february 19th in the markets because everything's fine like there's definitely going to be some fundamental shifts some that were on their way and some that weren't but that we have to wake up to because... yeah 100 percent. things to think about right i mean and i think the important thing i'd say for people listening is nobody has all the answers here i mean and like the, the level of uncertainty beyond this health dynamic is significant because it's it, it is unclear on how what direction let's say you know the developed nations are, are heading in right now you know how does italy react to this italy has a difficult situation they were already in a, a financially stressed environment and we're now at this point where everybody's at like zero rates right so there is this question now that once all policies here what what moves the needle relatively between between competing central banks and economies and what's going to be coordinated because this is where i mean if you think back to financial crisis there was coordinated responses right and there was i think something came out yesterday on uh, the, uh they're they're pledging five trillion the g20 yep yeah right read it in the news but today. like they can put out these statements but then we get these things where you know we call it the chinese virus or change the name of something or insult another country or the Chinese throw our frigging uh, uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal out. Uh, the situation in like it's, it's you, you look at it and you're like, what is, is this just show or is what's going on here? Was, was this outbreak globally of function at the level it's been worse than it is of a breakdown in the the old order that was this global dialogue that seemed to exist amongst these developed countries like they said like our president can get up and say you know i love these guys we get i, I get along with chi i get along with putin you know we get along, i love boris and trudeau and whatever but then we have these incidents that go on behind the scene and then there is these little beefs that occur right russia and china at Canada and the trade, the trade disputes. And it's hard to, to look at that and not be like, maybe there has been a breakdown in the global order. And without question, there's been a, there's been a, 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 a rising wave of, of isolationism and nationalism and populism globally. And 
maybe this tipped it over. The thing I've been sitting on since, let's say, the 2015-16 area, the rise of populism is that you see these sort of cycles in the world of opening and closing. So from the fall of the Soviet Union to at least 9-11 and probably even till the financial crisis, we were still in a cycle of opening, even though 9-11 and the Iraq war caused some friction. But then when you get into a cycle of closing, which we've sort of been since the crisis and since the questions it raised about experts and about the way of things work, the way to get out of a closing cycle historically is that you have a war and everybody realizes that that's not really a good thing for the world. And, you know, you want to avoid having that be what this is, you know, sort of a pet theory of mine, but you don't want a war to be what triggers an opening. If I'm somebody who likes open, obviously, based on how I'm framing this, but for you to get back to an open, you don't want it to be a case of where cooperation is only in the aftermath of a war. It's interesting to think about, does something like a global I think pandemic... everybody likes open, right? Until they're pointed, and someone points to them and says, open is causing you a problem because that person is getting in and not being held accountable and he's screwing you over. You, But, you know, the optimist would say that perhaps this puts the stress on the importance of collaboration and cooperation. Now, I'm not, I'm an optimist. I'm not naive for the most part, but I'm just sort of- I'm with you on that. I, I, I look at this and say, is, do we come out of this and say, you know what, Let, forget space force, you know, we need bioforce, right? Right. And bioforce has to be empowered and it's gotta be, you know, top seven uh, countries, you know, like, like the UN Security Council, but like actually, like essentially on the hook for keeping humanity and the global economy you know, uh, functioning because you're not going, we can sit and talk about deglobalization in the sense that we're getting more isolationist, but you're not getting around the fact that Facebook and Google and Apple are so freaking global. Now you're more, more global than ever. Right. And you're more tied in and travel, unless you want to shut it down, that's not going away. And people have been moving around and they can move around easier. And if you're talking about hyperloops and supersonic planes and freaking going to space, right rocket ships and tours of the moon and you'll be like you know what though i want to i these gloves for emergencies need to be manufactured here it's like well i mean there's a supply chain can't you just if, if the capacity is there why can't you guys coordinate in an emergency and deal with it right and that's not happening so like we we, we have like a technological globalization running against this like weird counter tide. Uh, uh, and it's a function of the Chinese economy is shifting and it is a different dynamic for them than they were before in how they're going to grow. And it's not necessarily as convenient as it was for the United States either, right? So now where the, US, where the Chinese are threatening uh, is maybe offsetting the, the uh, benefit they were transferring as far as uh, supply chain and consumer and keeping prices down, right? And that's where you have this kind of this this colli these colliding forces that don't seem to be be resolved. I mean, and, and I think you do raise a very good point. Like maybe maybe it does come to like come down to war. You know, I mean, I, who knows how that even plays out? What happens? They, they take over Taiwan immediately sees Taiwan semiconductor, all the semiconductor infrastructure, and we counter, we bomb that to take that out. <laughs> I mean, I can't even, like, I don't even know what the war game simulations on that look like. Right. And, you know, and to be very clear, it's, one wants to, I think we want to try to avoid that while still getting to a better better landing spot than everybody going behind their well, walls. And you get and a sense that people do want to avoid it in power because they, I mean, there is this kind of, you know, escalate, de-escalate, escalate, de-escalate, escalate, de-escalate. So it's the, it's a song and dance. And, and that's where you, that's where you left confused. Like if, if we, you know, if the president of the United States was 
openly critical of the premier of China directly uh, to the point of almost undermining him in, in, in a regime change type manner, then you'd be like, okay, I, I get it. This is where we're going. Okay. And that's not good. And I think markets would get it too. And like, I, we wouldn't be, there wouldn't be much to exploit, right? It's this element where it's, it sits in the middle ground and you're like, yeah, but, but on balance, it seems to be pulling in, in this direction, which is more of this conflict that kind of started and, and it's easier to sell. I mean, historically, that's why it's been, I mean, nationalism does function. If, if you just say, you know, flag veterans, you know, second amendment. And I mean, it's, it's simplified. It's not complex and it resonates and it's, it can also, it can also be for a lot of the people who don't get, don't think it much through who actually tend to be, you know, those folks in the economy counterproductive because economically a lot of what is so much of driving America, you think about it, look at, look at the shale industry, right? And there's some great write-ups on shale. I, there was one I was actually going to send it to you. Uh, it was it was in December of 2019 because the president yesterday tweeted, you know, our our shale industry was having its best year in history, going into this, right? I think it like literally it was before his uh, his China tweet yesterday, and uh, they're going to get through this, and it's so important to our national security. And, and so on and so forth. And this is the CEO of EQT, quote from him from last November. The shale gas revolution has frankly been an unmitigated disaster for any buy and hold investor in the shale gas industry, with very few limited exceptions. In fact, I am not aware of another case of disruptive technological chain, change that has done so much harm to the industry that created the change, right? And I mean, shale bankruptcies were up 50% last year, okay? It was the worst, oil and gas was the worst performing sector in the S&P 500. It's been the worst performing sector for the last decade. There's been like 200 billion plus in debt restructured since 2015. Nobody has made money. You would almost think it's a nationalized industry because why would an industry continue to lose at the rate it's losing to provide energy independence, right? But the consumer benefits, and our politicians get to say, uh, we, have, you know, we have national security, right? But it's completely illogical. It, it, like from a capitalist standpoint, it's like, why is money still flowing here that's losing money? And I mean, it's, it's flowing obviously significantly less. And now after this happened, uh, drastically less. And you're going to have a restructuring and the output's going to come down. So then what happens? Do, do we, the, does... Do, does the federal government step in and back this just so that we're the still the biggest energy producer? It's 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 one of these things where you just you have no idea. And this is like something that you know Jim Cramer is on TV, you know, saying Saudi Arabia is attacking the United States essentially, right? I mean, that's that's what it was like when oil dropped as as quickly as it did. It's like this is. This is, you know, an ally that's that's turning against us, and you're like, well, I mean, I seriously doubt anything is going on between the United States and and, and the oil producers over there, ex Russia, that the United States isn't behind. So you 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 have a very hard time looking at that, and then you're like, well, if that's the case, then is this something where Russia didn't want to take a hit, and politically the united states counter encouraging uh production despite the impact that's going to happen in shale because well shale is already a mess and has been a mess and it's not going to cripple the markets by itself so why not hit back at the russians in this environment and take away market share and put more pressure on them economically now, these are the types of things that are just very very hard in this climate to get your head around there's just a lot of geopolitical stuff anyway we got so way off topic <laughs> yeah i was gonna leave it i i gave a pause purposefully yeah let's there's a ton gonna, i mean we could to talk break, break, you're gonna have to break that up and end it where we end where we last talked about streaming yeah i think we might have two podcasts here a 
a Disney one and a political one. But yeah, macro. Right, let's just mac- say, macro. That's what I meant. Let's um, just say to, to sum it up for anyone who actually spends the time to listen to both of these. Uh, outside of the basic element, there's a couple other variables that seem to be factoring into long-term investing decisions here. And when the markets swing from bear market to bull market to bear market in, in a week, uh, you start thinking, you know what? Maybe I need to step back and think these through. And I think that's the important thing here. Because I don't, I still haven't figured out where I stand in a lot of these issues. I'm just trying to digest them. Well put. Yeah, I think there's still... I, I would just say that I don't think we're... I don't think the problem has been solved the way that it might have felt to some people investing this week. But I also don't think it's the end of the world. I think there's still a lot to figure out. And uh, patience is a good yeah, I, The a good one thing, thing that I, I can say for certainty, and I mean, I don't know how that impacts any person who wants to invest and, and, and make that judgment on their own, is – there is pressure against the typical type of capitalist behavior that historically benefits stocks in a time of a crisis. And in some cases, straight up handcuffs, right? You can't do it. You can't cut the way you used to cut, uh, but your revenues are going to be down, right? And that's the thing. When you look at like when you look at the Payment Protection Act, it's like, you know what? You, you, you'll get your rent. You'll get your bills covered. Uh, utility bills, mortgage payment, and eight weeks of payroll. And you can actually get a loan for that and get that part, that, that first eight weeks forgiven. You know, literally, it's, it's, it's for anyone employing less than 500 people, it's a two month handout, right, from the federal government in the form of uh, a loan followed by meeting the qualifications and forgiving it. But is that going to cause stock prices to rise? Because, well, I keep my job. However, I'm going to absorb whatever decline between, you know, 50% all the way to 100% in that eight-week window. I'm not making money, right? So keeping people employed uh, through this, so we get to outside of this point, and where we where we let the rules come back into play a little bit more. And when those rules come in, it's going to be a battle about how they're phased in, right? It, not all at once, slower. And that's where you get these things like the pledges and Jim Cramer's, you know, the, the you know, everyone take the pledge. I'm not going to lay off anybody for 30 days. And it's like, all right, well, okay, you don't buy stocks when you're starting something like that because. You want to go back to, like, if, if we were to think where we were before the coronavirus, it was max full-on steroids, up every day, most buybacks possible, you know, enter in, acquire shares in stock, you know, get CEO who's hanging out in Africa out, make money, <laughs> you know? I mean, that seemed to be the, the game plan there on, on Twitter. It's like, I just bounce him and I'm going to make 20%. And... I mean, we were all guilty of it too. Like, by you know, like if late January we're not looking at certain tech names and being like, you know, why isn't Facebook at three hundred? I mean, that's where I thought Facebook should be. It's not back to one fifty. You know, you're like, well, how's there a hundred percent difference? Well, and it's at one fifty. And 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 Daniel, we're talking about like, what is it? Sixteen times earnings, but those earnings are now going down, right? Looking forward. You start thinking that way, and then, then you start thinking. I mean, right? There's a lot of software stocks that right now people are taking the insulated view, and the same thing in semiconductors. But you're like, once you get through the supply chain back and forth of Q1, Q2, and you start getting to Q3 and Q4, that's a whole different environment. That's the, that's where it's where we get back to real investing, and not this like this chaos. And that's where you got to be looking. Like, does the election matter? Does uh, a potential flu season matter? Are any is anyone going to be planning budget decisions around these? And if nobody can lay off anybody till the end of the year, and they filed until they've until they've gotten the loan forgiven, and until that's been rolled over, until that's been refinanced, and till the foreclosure lift has been removed, and to, uh, all those things, and you're like, you know what? 
I, I can spend some time here just doing research and thinking about things versus panicking and buying and selling. Yeah, I think that's that's the guard your emotions because we're in a wild place and it, yeah, at some point fundamentals and analysis will be easier to do, but it's not clear that that point is now. Um, any positions? I mean, we mentioned a lot of stocks. Anything? I'm along Disney and Google. I think that's those are the only stocks in mind that we got. I'm to. still in Facebook. I'm still in Coca Cola. Okay. But I should all say the, all the other ones. I own a small position in SEF, which is a short financials ETF. Oh, I, there you go. Ah, you like my view on financials, huh? <laughs> I I am more exposed on the long side through individual stocks. Just okay, you're just hedging. It's. I felt I've. I've I mean, pulled, I wanted to buy Goldman Sachs, but I mean, I did that in 2018 on December 24th, and uh, at, at a higher price right. than it hit multiple days in the last week yeah i i mean i just think it's good to i felt in the rush last there's such week, a tough I've, i mean like they've got I've, nowhere since goldman sachs is trading where you you bought it in 2006 hmm. you know so when people talk about the bull market it's like it's left out a lot of sectors people forget uh, exxon mobile is trading where it was at in 1997 right yeah yeah commodities so everything is an apple Right. Okay. All right. Well, good stuff, Akram. I think we covered yeah, the gamut here. We got two, two, two for the price of one today. That's right. So, all right. Well, oh, look, the market's down big, huh? Yeah, we've got the the bull market. We missed we're, that. We're back, back under the bull market. I don't know where we are, but uh, that's the that's the story of this podcast. Correlation so. is not causation. <laughs> that's that's correct yeah there's still still a lot of events going out and be careful to overplay one or the other i think that's fair but all right good stuff akram um be well and we'll do it again soon all right take all care right. take care